0: So how do you achieve financial freedom, gain wealth, and live life on your terms? That is the question, and here's the answer. I'm A.G. Osborne. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom. Welcome to Cash Flow to Freedom, everybody. Um, I have an interesting subject that I uh, hope you guys (laughs) will will like, uh, and it's one that I think we really need to dive into. so I don't get anybody, I guess, necessarily mad. But um, the the subject of today is why saving money makes you poor and others rich. Um, the idea behind this subject is more for us to better understand. Um, how the economic machine that we all play in functions and how capital works and why that is. Why is it that savers get poor while everyone else gets rich and how that works and how that you saving actually makes others rich? Um, before we get into that though uh, – I have something that I want to mention, and you guys can email me and let me know what you think about this. I'm thinking about transitioning Cashflow to Freedom, the brand, over just to A.J. Osborne. And there's a reason why I'm thinking about doing this. Um, One of the main reasons is there's a lot of subjects that I want to explore on this podcast that I just want to have more of the freedom of exploring. And bringing on different guests that may talk more about when, – when we started the podcast, this was very centric on solely um, really looking at the dynamics of cash flow. Uh, I, and obviously, that's what it will remain to be. I'm never going to not talk about cash flow and about building that in and spreading it. But a lot of people want to talk more and we've had a lot of guests that have brought on questions on – framing yourself and getting yourself in a mental framework of success. And as I've thought, I guess, personally about my journey and what we've had to overcome in my life and getting to there, I've always, I don't want to say thrown that to the side. Um, I've always been a part of the idea where it's just like, Oh, you know, just get it done. How you how I feel is irrelevant. Just get it done. Wake up and go do it, whether you're happy or you're not or anything else like that. Um, but that's not the full picture, right? I, I, I think that was, I was letting myself off too easy just by saying there's no reason to talk about that because that in itself is a mental framework, right? That is a mental way of looking. And there's certain things that you have to do, understand, and believe. Um, to set up a conditions where you can move forward and knowing where to go, and how I got into that because as pretty as we all think it is, looking backwards, it was really messy. There was lots of doubts, uncertainty. I didn't know where I was going. Failures all the time. Um, you know, failures professionally, um, personally, um, embarrassments that you know made me feel worthless. And there, and you know, obviously lots of support and help. And and I've just never really explored that. I get on any of the podcasts and I thought, you know what? That's something I think that I've left out and probably isn't good to leave out because it is a huge, huge part. And I can get a little take, uh, carried away with complex things or, or things that, um, I think may be a little higher level and I don't want to lose the audience and I want to make sure that everybody can get there. Right. Um, as much as I would love just to talk about macroeconomics all day uh, and (laughs) actual investing structures, which we will talk about those things. We're always going to. But I just thought cash flow to freedom as a brand, maybe it's time that it dies. And maybe it's time that I just take it head on, take accountability, put my name and my face behind the brand. Anyways, so that's what, that's what I've been thinking about in life as we go along, especially as we start our private equity business. And um, I believe strongly in accountability and thoughts and ideas. And I help think that as a branding, right, because that's what we're doing and building a connection with the audience and having you guys know more about not just what we're doing, but... I feel like sometimes we hide behind a brand, and uh, I guess I just don't want to do that. Anyways, rambling about that decision, but let me know what you guys think. We're we're, we're going down that direction. Uh, I have a lot of big things for next year that we want to accomplish with this podcast. I have a lot of names, a lot of things that we want to explore, and guests that I want to bring on. That podcast format may not change much from a standpoint of that I'm going to bring on people that I really want to bring on, and um, when I don't have somebody I really don't want to bring on, I don't want to—I'm just not going to do it. And when I have topics that are important to me that I feel this was like an aha moment in my life— um, those things I feel like I need to express because I'm hoping that it can be an aha moment for somebody else in their life. I'm just going to do my own podcast, and, and I want to be okay with that. I don't want to be stuck to stringent uh, rules. I've had some guests on that I – actually, I was like, eh, you know what? I'm not, I'm not super amped about this episode, but we need to get an episode out there. That's something I don't want to do. I really want this to be focused on quality. And I wanted to be focused more around what I wish that I would have had and I think that I need today in my 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 progress and moving forward and what I think you guys need. So, anyways, with that, all that that fluffy stuff, all that housekeeping stuff. Um, you know, I guess too, one of the reasons I Thinking about this, yeah, you see, I can't even drop this. I'm just going to keep going back to it. (laughs) So one of the reasons that I've been thinking about this and also doing it is all of this comes out of my own pocket. So I don't make money from this podcast. I don't do you know anything else like that. I'm just paying for it. So I want to make sure that if I'm going to pay for it, it's all around absolute top quality, and that it becomes more of a legacy thing for me, and that it is something that I can be. Not, not just super proud of, but like almost like a journal, an audio journal of gems that I can go back and I can give to other people that I can pull out. All right, now I'm really done. I'm closing up that thought. I'm shutting the door. We're going to talk about money and why you saving makes you poor and other people rich. So this is a topic... That is understood probably in a basic sense, but never really grasped. Um, And I need to take in two parts of it. We're going to give simple, then I'm going to talk about case studies. And I'm going to talk about how people get rich or wealthy, excuse me. And we're going to talk about that's relationship with wealth with uh, the relationship with wealth and risk. So to get started, we'll keep it in its simplest format. Savings is a mean by which debt is created. Um, Banks take money and they leverage that, you know, seven, eight to one. But the debt that is leveraged is used for a purpose. Now, banks have to abide by guidelines, which they have to have a certain amount in order to leverage that much. This is fractional banking, okay? This is how, I guess if you were going to say money is created, this is how it is. Um, money is debt. Nothing more, nothing less. It's an IOU. And I think a lot of people have a idea that putting money in a bank means you have cash sitting in a vault somewhere somewhere where that doesn't exist, that's not, I mean, it's, you, we have trillions and trillions of dollars, like, ew, I think what it is, something $40 trillion or something crazy, um, all of which is debt. Uh, we have of actual currency, maybe a trillion. It's not a lot. I should get the exact numbers for you, and I'll probably look that up and get it for you. But it's a, once again, it's a fraction of at what money is actually. Money doesn't change hands. It's all ones and zeros. And money fluctuates. Money supply fluctuates. It grows. It expands. It contracts. It's, a, it's an evolving, ever-moving thing. But in life, we've been trained to look at it one-dimensionally, we don't look at it how it really is and as a three- or four-dimensional being which um, is used throughout time and space. And I know you're like, dude, AJ, are you in like psychedelics here? You're talking time and space. What the crap does that even mean? What I mean is when you put your money in, all of a sudden, one becomes eight, and eight people receive your money. And they take that money – And they leverage that money. And then it becomes multiple points. And there's IOUs and contracts, which change the ramifications and change the realm of time that those dollars work in. All while you think your money's just sitting in a bank account. Now, the bank pays you to have it sitting in there. But it pays you like 0.5%. Well, interest rates that they're getting are... Three, four percent. And inflation, the target inflation is 2.6 percent. We'll just use three percent as a simple number. The bank is trying to get an interest rate higher than inflation, and they pay you so low um, that your money is worth less every single year. So, this is the first thing you need to understand your money, your cash loses, you lose money every single year. You actually are losing it. It's not like it's actually being gone and it's being gone due to inflation. And inflation is not a bad or a good thing. You can't look at it like that. It's an ever-present necessity in our economy. It has to exist. The government is very incentivized to create inflation, as is banks, businesses, and everybody else. Um, Inflation is part of the process of growing. Too much inflation can shock the economy. Too much inflation or the rising of prices of goods and services going up too fast can cause um recessions we've seen this happen right so when we had a massive spell of inflation right before um, I was born that lasted a long time um my favorite um fed chairman Paul Volkerman uh yep I'm a nerd I actually have a favorite one uh he came in he's just like he's like six. Two or th- three or something like that. He was a tall, pretty tall guy, bald head. Yeah, he was like six four, and he said, "We have runaway inflation. How you take care of inflation is you contract money supply. You get rid of money because there's too much money chasing goods and services within the economy." That's causing inflation. That's causing problems in the economy. So we need to contract that. You do that by allowing interest rates to rise. So interest rates skyrocketed. Now, the interest rates skyrocketing plummeted the U.S. into further economic crisis, but it took care of inflation. Inflation ended, and we went into a new golden age of monetary policy in the United States. What they learned was very simple. You do not let Inflation needs to remain present as they, you know, they kind of understood, but you really need to contract that uh, or to watch money supply and you need to watch it closely and you need to let interest rates move up and down in association with money supply that is tied to interest rates. So the Federal Reserve is looking at inflation that will dictate what they set Uh, what they want their interest rate targets to be. There's no inflation right now, so they have very low interest rates. the point of this being is interest is uh, – or inflation is important and it's not going anywhere. Every time that there's inflation, it's like this invisible thing that lowers debt. Now, if you're a country like the United States that borrows ungodly amounts of money because you're absolutely addicted to it, um, you need to lower that money. You need to lower your debt burdens. Now, you could just you know, not borrow or – Pay it off. But that's ridiculous because then we couldn't spend our money that we want to spend as a US government. We'd actually have to, as politicians, do something. So the easier way to make sure that this money or this debt load keeps eroding away is to cause inflation. Because if I have a 3% inflation, the money that I borrow today, right, that money now is worth less. So that debt obligation goes down every single year. This is one of the guiding principles of real estate and how people get wealthy. If you buy a uh, house for $100,000 and you put $20,000 into it, and 10 years later, that house is worth $150,000, your debt to equity has changed massively. You're in a much more secure position, and you have much more wealth. Well, that's the same for a country. That's the same for a business or anybody else. So they need inflation. They're making inflation by pouring money into the economy by creating stimulus and reducing interest rates and doing things like quantitative easing, bailouts during COVID. This is all to pump money into the economy. All right, now that I'm off on my inflation talk here. That means every single year your money is worth 3% less. Well, if it's sitting in a bank account and you're getting 0.5, every single year your money is worth 2.5% less. But that's not just the only that's not the only reason that, you know, you get poor and other people get rich. Another reason is because when you put that money in, the bank uses that and they give it to other people. Those people invest their money so that inflation benefits them well now that inflation is benefiting you in the goods and services that they provide that you have to use your own money's actually working against you your own money is being put to work to sell you things to rent you things to work in the economy and benefit off your hard earned money that you have to go spend so you're in you are facilitating economic growth while not participating in it this is what you have to understand. The, when that money goes out, the people that take it and borrow it, okay, now we're moving into a case study. Now we're gonna talk about me. And we're gonna talk about how I utilize OPM, other people's money. You all put your money into the bank. I go to the bank. The bank gives me that money. I go buy an asset that I make 20% on, okay? Now, that 20% that I utilize... I go and I go out and let's say I uh, turn my property around. I make more money on that through increasing rents. Through the increased rents, value goes up. I refinance that with the bank that your money's in. And I take that equity out. So the bank has to put that money into it and I get to pocket it. So I get to pocket all my money that I put into that asset plus more into my pocket. This is a risk shift. I've now taken my risk or exposure out and I've put that on to the bank. And I do this through a thing that's called non-recourse. So what happens is I get all my money out plus I get a great profit and that asset still has to pay me while I take all the liability off of me and I put it back on the bank. So now I have an asset free and clear with no risk that pays me 20%. The bank makes its 4.5% and you make 0.5 or you lose money. So I am getting wealthier. I'm getting less risk while that person has a guaranteed loss on their money every single year. I have no risk. I'm getting wealthier every single year. My debts are being lowered by the government and by the people that rent from me. And I've taken that money and I've gone and done it again. And the bank lends it to me again. This is velocity of money. This is wealth creation. And people don't understand that they're participating in it. They just don't get the benefit of it. And when I understood this, I was like, I have two choices. I can be an economic participator that gets paid, or I can be an economic participator that loses money. And I didn't really see it any other way. They're just, I was either going to lose money or I was going to benefit. But no matter what, my money was going to get a return, My money was going to make the economy better. My work was going to make the economy grow. The question was, was I going to make anything off it? Was I going to be benefit or was I simply working and saving to make others rich? Good or bad, that doesn't really matter. It's how the economy works. In fact, I think it's good. The problem is education, that we don't know what's happening, that we're taught you need to go work and you need to save your money. And that's all you need to do. Well, you're fighting against a down current. You're trying to go against the current because you're saving money every year, which every single year you have to save not just an additional 3% to make up for your loss of the previous year, but also another 3%. So you're actively, you can, and two, this is after you pay taxes. By the way, that property that I talked about that I refinanced, got rid of all my risk, took all my money out and get paid every single year, that also makes it so I don't have to pay taxes. Um, This is kind of the holy grail of wealth. And once you know this and once you figure it out, you can't unknow it. You can't not see it. You can only participate in it. And everyone should know it, and everyone should see it, and everyone should participate in it. And really, that's kind of my goal with this podcast, with everybody, with all this other stuff. It's, it, you guys got to know, and you got to understand this. Because it's not when people are like, you know what, I'm not really, I'm not an investor. That's not my thing. And I'm like, well, no, you are. You just don't get paid to be. I do. So that doesn't make sense to me. Because you are investing in the economy. In fact, too, you're taking the risk. You're just not getting paid. That doesn't sit. That never sat well with me. Um, Maybe I'm just the oldest child that wants attention and I want to be included. And that's not fair, which is probably a lot of truth to that. But it is. It just is. I'm like, that's not fair. And two, when I say it's not fair, don't get me wrong. I'm not talking about out protesting, knocking down doors. That's not fair. Give me my money. No, I mean, that's not fair as in, AJ, you're not being fair to yourself. You're not making the decisions that would allow you to do the exact same thing and participate because all of us can. All of us can do this. There's no one that cannot not do this. That doesn't exist. There's imaginary barriers that we put in front of ourselves and lead ourselves to. You have to understand, though, the arc of success is one that is proven. It is one that is earned, and the economy makes you earn it. The economy makes it because of risk. Now, this is where we get into risk. Banks don't know what to do with their money. So for a bank to go out and invest their money in a storage facility is very scary because they don't know even what to do with it. You talk to bankers, they don't know even the economics of storage or why it would even be good. So then why are banks investing in this asset class or multifamily or anything else? Because they have somebody that does, and that somebody would be, let's say, me in self-storage or multifamily, somebody else, or whatever that asset class is. So the bank says, we're giving you the money because it's too risky for us. You need to put it to work, and you need to get good use out of it, right? So they're giving their money to others for them because the risk they have is knowledge. So what did the bank get for it? The bank gets four percent or four and a half percent, right? And then the guy with the knowledge or the participant gets everything else, and then of course, obviously, the savers are the ones that fall in. The bank's the intermediary, and they're just simply taking their little cut in this whole entire system and how it works. Um, But. You can put your money to work and you don't even need the bank. You can give your money to people to work. You can give your money in commercial real estate. You can put your money in the stock market. You can start investing for yourself. You can seed fund businesses. This comes after you save. Remember, the only reason you save is to invest. And people that are perpetual savers are perpetual losers. And they are people that are losing because their cost goes up and what they get paid lowers. And so that spread kills you. I don't mean this to in any way, shape or form be like, a man, this is a depressing podcast. No, I just told you how it's working and how you can take advantage of it. And I think one of the reasons we don't and one of the hard parts is, is this stuff takes time. And because of that knowledge, that risk portion, banks aren't going to just go give you money. So people are like, well, banks won't give me money. And you're like, well, have you earned it? Have you earned the knowledge to get that bank to say you're more trustworthy than me? If a bank thinks that you are, um, you don't know more than they do, then that money transfer to you is more risk than them doing it themselves. Well, that doesn't make sense. The bank needs to give it to somebody that has better skills and knows more than them. So that they can put that money to work safely for them. And if you're not that person, why are you whining and crying that a bank's not going to give you money? Why should they? That doesn't even make sense. So you got to go earn your stripes, so to speak, right? You got to go out there and you got to make this happen. You got to show people, investors, bankers, you got to tell them why and show them why with results, on how come you should be an economic steward of capital, or you need to find the people that are and you need to back them. Why just let the bank do it? Why don't you do it with your capital? Bypass the middleman, because the middleman's not paying you. Now, what you get with banks is obviously a security from the federal government that says, if the bank goes belly up because they give it to bad people, right, which you know, we saw in 2008 and everything else, we're going to bail them out. So it's better to have it with us than everyone else, which I viewed the bank as an intermediary point. It's where my capital goes to sit while I'm giving it places to go and putting it to work. And then I use that relationship as I put capital with the bank to get more money than I ever put in by leaps and bounds to the bank. So that relationship, that symbiotic relationship that I have with a bank, I'm the beneficiary. And you need to ask yourself when you're working and with your money, are you the beneficiary of your capital or is somebody else? And two, I mean, I literally think this, I go and I ask the bankers, what do you loan to? What asset classes? Where are you loaning it? Because if my money's in it, I'm always curious, who am I making wealthy? Who's getting rich off my money sitting in this bank account? Um, I have no problem with it, right? Only to the extent that, It will be me where that money actually goes to, that I will be in control. So I know this is kind of a long ramble about it, and it may be things you guys already know. I don't know. But for me, this was a big aha moment and a turning point that I have two options. I can either invest and not get paid for it, or I can invest and get paid for it. The option of not investing doesn't exist. And when we say, oh, I'm risk adverse, so I don't want to invest or I don't want to start businesses, I say, well, no, you're not educated and you're choosing to lose money so you don't have to educate yourself because you are investing and you are participating in the economy. It doesn't matter what you tell yourself. That's not how it works. Now, I'm not saying you need to do it yourself even, Yeah, we need to be educated about how the money works, and you need to understand that you're losing money every single year, and that you could put that money to work, and you could be the beneficiary instead of it, whether you do it yourself or not. Anyways, I find this stuff fascinating and interesting, and this was a big portion of my mindset, and moving my mindset to be a um, participator in economic advancement, And understanding that I needed to put, I needed to be on the economic receiving end, not just putting in. And that it's a choice. It's my choice whether I am an economic participant and receiver, right? Or if I'm just simply there to make others wealthy. And invest in others without getting any return. So think about it. Ask your bankers. When you go and you go, yeah, I don't know, however much you have, 5000 bucks in a bank account, 500 bucks I don't care. Call your bank and ask them, who do you lend to? What building projects have you guys funded? They usually brag about it, right? And they tell you about it, which they should. They should be proud. But then I want you to look, and then maybe you could go find those projects. Find out who's doing them. Ask them. How much money they're making off it? What percentage return do they get? Then you can simply whittle that down. So if it's an apartment complex and he says, I make 15% and it's $2 million, okay? And that $2 million, right? You have 2%, that's whatever it is, you know, 0.1 or 1%. You just work it backwards and you can see exactly how much money you would be making or your money is making, excuse me, now it would be making, is making in that investment. You're just not receiving it. When I started doing that, um, it really changed my ideas about how I needed to go. And then obviously comes the next idea where I thought, yeah, but that's super risky and they're risk takers. And then I found out that actually they were shifting the risk onto the banks and onto bondholders. They didn't even have the risk. They had no money in it. They were making all the profit and they had no risk. And it was at that point that, you know, head explosion going, wait, what? how's this work? I'm guaranteed to lose money. They have no risk and they make money and become wealthy. Um, so anyways, great mind, mind game. Go, go look, go look at where your money's at. Look at where it's going and think through that. Then think about how you should be in the driver's seat and ask them, you know, you find that project and say, well, can I invest with you? And guess what? They're probably going to say, yeah, And you say, well, then why am I putting my money in my bank account and getting 0.5 where I'm guaranteed to lose money? And they're just taking my money and giving it to you. And then it goes into that project anyways. So think about it, guys. Ponder it. This holidays when you're out shopping and you're buying things, just remember, it was your money that created that thing. And it was your money that is using that service that is purchasing those goods and somebody's making money off those things. And ask yourself, is it you? If not, what are you going to do about it? Thanks, everybody. Have a good one. Thanks, everyone, for listening to this episode of Cashflow to Freedom. Be sure to subscribe to us for more and feel free to check us out at cashflowwiththenumber2freedom.com or find us on Instagram and Facebook. And also, if you could leave us a good review, that would really help us continue to build out our content and our community. Thank you so much.